folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And I wanted to take a second to thank you guys for joining us. Without listeners like you, this show wouldn't be possible. Well, I guess it would be possible, but it would be kind of pointless, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be anywhere near as fun. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for joining the Facebook group. We've had some pretty interesting, kind of rowdy at times discussions, <laughs> yeah. kind of off the wall sometimes. But uh, overall, a lot of great discussion. Um, I want to thank you guys for uh, leaving reviews. We've got some extra uh, iTunes reviews this week. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, and as always, come on into the subreddit and uh, and visit us. Yeah. And uh, send us an email, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to, you know, scream at us or tell us what a good job we're doing. Yeah, we would love to read your guys' emails, you know, about anything. I mean, you know, whether you've got show ideas or critiques or, or whatever you have. If you want to, uh, you know, call me out for a, a certain verbal tick, feel free. Let them rip. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. So today uh, we've got one of those world famous sense and theory grab bags ready for you guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about Kavanaugh. Uh, how could you not talk about Kavanaugh right now? But we got a couple other stories that we'll uh, get to later. One's a little fun. One's a little heady, you know, but we'll uh, we'll get to those. <laughs> Um, so yeah, first up Kavanaugh. So Brett Kavanaugh, uh, was, you know, appointed by, uh, Donald Trump to fill Anthony Kennedy's vacant Supreme court seat. And so now here he is, he's going through his Senate confirmation hearing and it has just been the most peaceful, bipartisan, <laughs> wonderful this confirmation. Is, hearing. This is how we can, want government to work. This is exactly how government should work, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been a disaster. It's, it's, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's the worst one ever. Uh, but yeah, no, the really who was worse. Uh, well you could, uh, Robert Bork, Clarence Thomas. Uh, those are some really bad, you know, Clarence Thomas was bad ironically because of the Anita Hill, uh, sexual assault allegations. Uh huh. You know, but uh, Robert Bork, I think, is probably the he did not get confirmed to the Supreme Court. And that's one of the few times that's ever happened. So, really? Yeah, it was, it was very <laughs> contentious. But uh, but no, this one, this one has got every every bit of that partisan bickering and all those things that we've come to hate uh, right there on full display. Yeah, And I think out the gate, um, one of the big criticisms coming from the left was that if Cam Kavanaugh is confirmed, then Roe versus Wade is is bye bye, you know, right, right. out the door. This has been kind of the major talking point of the left from the beginning. What do, what do you think about that? I mean, you think there's any legitimacy to that? Does Kavanaugh get to come in and and be the deciding vote and say, ah, we're going to axe this thing? Well, I have okay. So I'm I'm of two separate minds about that in a sense. Like I have what I personally think might happen, but you know, then there's also conventional wisdom, right? So conventional wisdom, believe it or not, a Republican president is going to appoint a conservative justice. <gasps> really? Yeah, you know, <laughs> shock. Like, you know, that's what's going to happen. And that's, you know, as we've talked about on the show, that's the problem with, like, abortion rights only being tied up in a Supreme Court decision, right? Right. If the day ever comes where there's enough people on the, you know, Supreme Court who feel differently, then that changes just like that. Sure. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Um, the whole idea of, you know, the Senate confirming the Supreme Court uh, justice, you know, nominee or whatever, it, it's kind of weird. It's on a weird ground to begin with, right? Because it's the president's constitutional authority to appoint that person. Okay. And so over time, this this whole Senate confirmation thing, it kind of 
it, it developed. It's in there. There is a line in the Constitution that says that the Senate gets to confirm it. But the question of what does that mean? Does that mean that they get to throw it out for anything they like? Because it's his, it's his power to appoint the person. Right? Sure. Or does it have to be only the most egregious examples? So in this case, if we're talking about Roe versus Wade, we're talking about can the Senate, you know, if, if it had the votes, if it had the Democratic votes, could the Senate challenge and throw out the presidential appointee based on the fact that he's going to do exactly what the duly elected president <laughs> would have him do? You know, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Um, but as far as what I think will happen, this is what I think. And I think it's going to come out over some of the things we talk about here. Um, but I think that John Roberts, the chief justice of the Supreme court and Brett Kavanaugh are very similar ideologically. And I think we've seen over the years that John Roberts has this tendency to move a little bit further to the middle than you would have expected when he first got appointed. And I well, think- that kind of happens a lot, right? There's there's cons- plenty of conservative judges who 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 rule against what you'd you know what you'd think they would rule, right? I mean, um, it's not like they all vote hard along uh, along their ideological grounds. Well, in fairness, over the last you know forty fifty years, especially with the Supreme Court, it's become more and more. Ideological. That's not how I'd like to see it happen. No, I mean, that's not what we want, but I mean, let's be honest, that's the way it is. You know, I mean, that's why Anthony Kennedy was such a big deal, right? Because he was a swing vote. He could go either way. Right. And so what I'm saying about Roberts is I think the weight of being the chief justice, like, weighs on him a little bit. It's his court, you know? And so if his court rattles off 20 years of, like, hard partisan decisions, I think that reflects on his legacy. So I personally am kind of excited at the prospect that Kavanaugh being so similar to him might free him up to become a real swing voter. To play that swing. He doesn't have to be that safe conservative vote anymore. Like he can, you know, Kavanaugh's got me covered. I can decide this on the merits. Oh, think of that, man. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a nice idea, right? So yeah, I'd like, I'd like them all to be deciding things on the merits, honestly, uh, instead of, you know, these ideological grounds. Um, but just to give some background into who Kavanaugh is, you know, everyone says, uh, he's a conservative, uh, you know, he's going to be very conservative on the court. And, uh, I dug into some, some background. Um, the, the first interesting thing I found was that he actually wrote a lengthy opinion that served as the groundwork for declaring Obamacare constitutional. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that you kind of scratch your head at. Now, he he wrote that before, uh, you know, Obamacare came about. So it's not like he, he wrote it with Obamacare in mind or anything. But right. very much uh, that opinion was the groundwork for, for declaring yeah, Obamacare. Yeah, Roberts absolutely cited his opinion when Roberts wrote the opinion for Obamacare. Yeah. Right. Um, he also supported NSA spying as constitutional after the Edward Snowden leaks. Mm. That's a little bit disconcerting for yeah, me. No, that's no uh, good. You know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm very anti-NSA spying. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of want my Supreme Court to be on the side of privacy. Right. Um, for sure. Uh, he called FCC's net neutrality order an unlawful First Amendment violation. That's another thing mm. that really bugs me as a liberal. You know, I've... I, I believe net neutrality is is required to protect us from from the monopolies we've allowed to grow um, in the internet space. So you know that that really bugs me personally. Um, he's also been critical of the EPA, although he's critical of the EPA in the sense um, that he believes that the EPA has has overreaching authority. 
I think I think he's he's critical of the EPA in in a way that a lot of mainstream conservatives are critical of the EPA. Like absolutely, I, it's the same way I'm critical of the EPA. He is you know? not a climate change denier right. by any means. So I've got a quote here on the policy. I understand it's laudable, and the Earth is warming, and humans are contributing. Kavanaugh said, but he added. Under our separation of powers, our system of separation of powers, Congress is supposed to make the decision. Yeah. And, you know, I think that people use that to kind of paint him as as one of these climate change denying, you know, crazy conservatives. But nah, he just he believes he, he is a conservative. He again, he sees the question in terms of executive power. Right. Like, should the exec because don't forget the EPA is a part of the executive branch. Is that executive power? Or is that legislature power? And and that is that is a conversation that you can have well into the night and never bring up the temperature of the planet. You know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Politico also reported uh, Kavanaugh delivered a huge victory to conservatives in October 2016 when he wrote an opinion declaring the structure of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau a powerful banking industry watchdog first envisioned by Elizabeth Warren to be unconstitutional. Writing for a three-judge panel, Kavanaugh said the 2010 Dodd-Frank law had wrongly placed enormous executive power in the CFPB's single director, which Republicans and the banking industry want to replace with a multi-member commission. Mm -hmm. Uh, Supporters of the CFPB accused Kavanaugh of acting as a partisan activist, and the constitutionality of the CFPB's structure was actually later upheld. Right. Um, and that's that's interesting to me. I don't know the details mm-hmm. of the CFPB and its structure uh, and all that, but it sounds like to me um, the conservative conservatives weren't wanting to tear down the structure. They just wanted right. to change it a little and insulate it from the problems that arise when we place too much power in one person's hand. Right. Um, there was also an issue, uh, and, and I know you looked into this a lot deeper, um, where where that appointment itself was was unconstitutional because of the language they you know yeah. something about uh, not being able to fire them for any reason or, or or take them off the out of the position for any reason yeah so the idea was what what Kavanaugh was saying in his ruling is a the amount of power that the bureau had like the the extent to which it could oversee banking regulations was an overstep. And then there's also the issue and which actually just recently came up in another court case where another judge ruled that the structure of the CFPB is unconstitutional about the director of the CFPB. And as it stands right now from the Dodd-Frank law, um, the director of the CFPB can only be fired by the president at cause, not at will. Uh-huh. So like everything else in the executive branch is, for the most part, with few exceptions, at will. Like and, if and the it president, makes sense to me. Yeah, if the president doesn't feel like you're doing a good job, you're out. If, it, you know? if you've been appointed by the president, you, you could be taken off the job by the president. Right, you know, there's right. no, uh, there's no, no bones about it. it just, yeah, and you don't necessarily have to be negligent at your job. Maybe you're not... You know, maybe there's someone better pursue. Maybe there's someone better or maybe you're not pursuing the objectives and goals that the president wants you. The executive branch is run by the executive. We elect the executive. Right. That's how it works. There's something to be said for 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 checks and balances, too. You know, I don't want you know, that that is handing the executive more power. You can remove them at will Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time. I want Congress to oversee things like this. Right. I don't want Congress to hand things like this directly to the executive branch and right. say, now you're in charge of it. Well, you know, so it's a like, little ludicrous. So me. like the correct way to, to bypass that maybe 
is to establish something special. Like if you want the CFPB to be an independent watchdog, which the president doesn't have full control over, then we need to start looking at laws or amendments to establish the CFPB sure. as something, you know, but as it stands right now, the case is simply being made that it's unconstitutional. Yeah. In fact, Kavanaugh, I believe in the decision said that he didn't want to dismantle the bureau, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it's all no grounds to anyway. largely, largely needed. <laughs> now, while we say that, and while we've said the other things, you know, that we've said here is Kavanaugh conservative and could bank money be involved in him making that CFPB decision? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, of course it could. He's not God. He's not Hercules. You know, he's he's no different than anybody else. There's a chance. But unless you can say, hey, look here, Merrill Lynch gave him this money. He issued this ruling. Right, then to the Kavanaugh Foundation, you know, right. donated $60,000 to the Kavanaugh right, Foundation right. every year, which didn't happen. And, and it's funny because there is this, uh, this kind of narrative spinning up on Twitter and social media right now. Um, about how he afforded the $240,000 down payment on his house and how the heck he managed to pay off $200,000 of credit card debt, uh, you know, on his federal salary. Yeah. Um, and I think people are, there's no answers to that question. Right. <laughs> you know, this came out uh, during his... Uh, he filled out the the Senate Judiciary Committee disclosure form. Right. And when they look, you know, when people looked at the numbers and they looked at what he was making at the time, you know, for instance... Uh, I think when he was originally appointed district judge on that disclosure form, he was worth about $91,000. I think it was $60,000. Something like that. And then sure enough, he makes a $240,000 down payment on this house. You know, so there's questions. At the same time, uh, circuit court judges earn $220,000 a year. Right, right. So, you know, I could see him saving up the money and putting this down payment on the house. Like, I well, and there's also not to mention uh, on the the Judiciary Committee disclosure form, you don't have to list gifts from relatives. And Kavanaugh's family is wealthy. I mean, is is as much as like we might, uh, you know, bristle at it. Mom and Daddy might pay. You know what I mean? Might yeah, pay for that house. So, absolutely. and 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 to put it in perspective, like <sighs> Kavanaugh is is worth less than anyone on the Supreme Court right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kavanaugh reported assets worth $65,000. So I guess his net worth was probably more like like $90,000, but his his assets were worth $65,000. To put that in perspective, Gorsuch reported $3.6 million in assets, and and I found figures that said the average net worth of a Supreme Court judge is $4.6 million. Yeah. So Kavanaugh's a freaking popper well, part on of paper. Gorsuch is a good example. As far as the average net worth of a Supreme Court judge, I mean, bear in mind that they they routinely do speaking engagements and sure. stuff, which they, you know, as we talked last week, they get handsomely paid for that <laughs> stuff. But John Roberts, going into, uh, you know, his judgeship or whatever, before he became a judge, had been a lawyer at a private firm making a million dollars a year. Right. So yeah, he Kavanaugh is by no means, you know. We're not talking about like Feinstein's $42 million net worth right, though. We're not right. talking about mega millions here. Right, right. And like you said, these people are are experts in their field. That's why they're there. So right. of course they're going to have amassed some sort of wealth. Yeah. Um, although Kavanaugh... Well, he's got a two point four million dollar house or something. No, you could. You he could, does not have an abundance of wealth. You I, can make a case for a fifty one year old man. He is he is behind the ball <laughs> on the retirement fund. But you know, not to not to disparage him or anything. But so here is the thing: I get why it's important because 
it is curious that his $200,000 credit card bill got paid off in the year before he got appointed Supreme Court justice. However, like, why, you know, why it, is that curious? It, it's, it's a weird why, case. Why is well, that curious? If, if he, if he doesn't have the income that would lead you to believe that he could pay off a $200,000 credit card bill, if you're on the Senate Judiciary Committee, then I think it is something that you ask him about. Okay, so you know there may saying? be some. Yeah, you ask so, him about so it. So there's sure. a, there's a different there's a different standard that that I think eludes us sometimes. Like we come up and we say, "Oh, there's these financial issues and stuff." He makes his answer, and they're like, "Well, those answers were, you know, I don't know if they quite cover it." Okay, well, Senator, factor that into your vote. Mm. Like, and that's the end of it. Right. Like we're not here. Like this man just got appointed for a position. We're not here to try him and fry him. We're here to decide whether or not he's good enough for the job. If his answer doesn't meet your muster, then by all means, vote no. Yeah. In fact, I, I would ask you forget what party you belong to and vote <laughs> yes or no. Oh, like that's based on happen. the answers he gave. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> so anyway, financial uh, questions aside, there's also the other issue that that Kavanaugh has this view that a sitting president should not be indicted. Right. And it's, I, I understand why, you know, with the Trump presidency, the Mueller investigation, Russia and all that stuff, I understand why everybody is like so worked up about it. But we also have to mention that it's not a fringe view. This is, you know, it harkens back to what we just said about the EPA and everything, but that is a view that's held by a lot of legal experts. In fact, the the Nixon Justice Department, the Bush 41 Justice Department, <laughs> the Clinton Justice Department, and a whole host of people right. think that you can't indict a sitting president. And and Kavanaugh uh, oversaw the, the Clinton blowjob scandal, right? He was one of the, the attorneys on the Ken Starr case yeah. um, that kind of broke that thing. He was like the top lawyer. Um, so he wrote in 2009... The nation certainly would have been better off if President Clinton could have focused on Osama bin Laden without being distracted by the Paula Jones sexual harassment case and its criminal investigation offshoots. Uh, he also wrote, I believe that the president should be excused from some of the burdens of ordinary citizenship while serving in the office. This is not something I necessarily thought in the 1980s or 1990s. Like many Americans at that time, I believed the president should be required to shoulder the same obligations that we all carry. But in, retros in retrospect, that seems a mistake. Yeah, and basically, so he's making the argument that when you're talking about like wars, uh, economic crises, uh, terrorist attacks, all that stuff, the president has a lot going on. And what happens to government when the president is facing an indictment or a criminal investigation? Do people stop listening to him? Do people, you know, question his decisions? And well, stuff? not to mention if he's got if he's got things to do, and now he's got to prepare a defense for the yeah. indictment. That really kind of throws a wrench in the operation of government. Now, I think people on on the left are looking at this and going, "Oh, well, he just wants to cover up for you know all this Trump Russia stuff, and he doesn't mm -hmm. want people to be, you know, he doesn't want his people uh, to be indicted, and you know, because they're all a bunch of criminals and." And, you know, I think that's very much the message, whereas I, I think the truth of his position is much softer than that. Um, but it does seem to me like, aren't we creating a catch-22 if if you're saying, well, we're not going to indict a sitting president, uh, you know, how the hell are you going to impeach him for, for doing things criminal if you haven't indicted him yet, right? Well, because impeachment is not a criminal proceeding necessarily, like... That, that's not, it's not the same thing. You don't have to have an indictment to do an impeachment. 
In the Constitution, basically the way it works, the House of Representatives draws up articles of impeachment. They say, here are the charges, basically, that we're making against the president. And then it goes to the Senate, and the Senate has a trial that's oversaw by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and they decide whether or not to remove the president from office. So, for instance, Bill Clinton was impeached because articles of impeachment were drawn up, but he was not removed from office because the Senate trial. You know, he won the I Senate see. trial. Think about that. Um, so, so no one is saying that, uh, you know, the president should be able to get away with murder. Well, they're saying if he's just just impeach the guy and then he's subject to criminal prosecution, which is exactly. Yeah, that's impeach exactly him, then what indict Kavanaugh's him. saying is once you impeach him, he's a citizen. You can do whatever you like. And, and the thing is, is, you know, well, this makes it harder for us to get the president. Not really, because all that Congress has to find in order to impeach the president is that, in their opinion, the president is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. That's the phrase. Which right? is not a legal standard, and, right? Well, it, it's, a, it's an old common law standard, but, dude, it includes such things as being chronically intoxicated. Okay. Uh, not performing your job well. Uh, you know, wow. it's, it's this super loose term that can damn near mean anything Congress wants it to mean. And so basically, so if, all they've got to do is get the votes. Yeah, all to Congress has to do is go through the process. Now, the process is arduous, but, you know, some I would argue that it needs to be a little, you know, sure. shouldn't be easy to just drop him, you know. Um, but yeah, it, him believing his Kavanaugh's belief on whether or not a president can be indicted while he's in office it doesn't really affect Trump much at all, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? If Trump. If there's wrongdoing there and he needs to go, he can be impeached and then indicted all day. Right. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here because I feel like an investigation, you know, a criminal investigation might reveal evidence of wrongdoing that's then used in the impeachment trial. Um, at the same time, I really, you know, being the fucking leader of the free world is one of the hardest jobs on the planet. So putting roadblocks in the way and allowing partisanship. I mean, imagine, imagine if we have a, a Democratic president come mm -hmm. 2020 who everyone you know on that side thinks is doing a great job. Oh, and now we can throw all these allegations out at him and, and slow him down. You know, that doesn't work for anyone, right, I don't right. think. Right. Bear in mind, though, that like the Senate can still, uh, Congress can still investigate the president. Sure. I mean, no, nobody's saying that Congress can't investigate as part of impeachment hearings. In fact, that's what Ken Starr was, was independent counsel investigating Clinton right. to see if there was grounds for impeachment. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it's one of those things that we like to drum up. And we like to get everybody excited about. He's going to let him get away. And it's it makes for great, you know, Twitter, great television. <laughs> but impeachment is the route by which you're going to get Trump. And, and he's not saying that, like, impeachment's unconstitutional. So, right. You know. And one thing I don't understand, maybe you can help me with, I, I don't understand why Kavanaugh's views on indicting a sitting president even matter. It's not like the Supreme Court is handing out indictments. Right. So who cares how well, he feels on it? I because mean, because there's a okay. So if you know, in the Mueller investigation, they wanted to indict the president, and the Republican Congress is not going for articles of impeachment, but Mueller saying I've got enough to indict him. Would there be an indictment, which the legality of which then gets kicked up to the Supreme Court that okay. he's got to decide on? Now he's deciding on yeah. it. I could, I could understand exactly. that. So that that actually brings up a really interesting hypothetical. If the, um, you know, if the Senate is is controlled by Republicans and they're ignoring his poor behavior for whatever reason, mm -hmm. um, yet he is guilty of you know indictable crimes. 
that is kind of a weird area where like now uh-huh. you do have someone who is very much above the law. Um, you know, could we have a, a Putin style dictator who's murdering journalists and if, um and, and a Senate who's protecting him? Yeah, if we never get the right to vote again, yeah. but i mean you just vote them out yeah ideally that would yeah yeah. unless the you know state propaganda well the idea so strong the idea is at that point you know the president would be doing something that's egregious and congress is willfully ignoring it right right? i have to believe that we would at least vote out congress you know what i'm saying (laughs) like i have to you know, if because that's what we're good at, right? You know, so I mean, we're we're, we're in <laughs> that situation. Making good decisions as citizens well, no, in the voting booth. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, with few exceptions, you know, you've got Mitch McConnell, you've got you've got people that that are established and have these machines behind them that are hard to overcome. But largely, though, if you if you back out and you look at like you know most representatives, you can't name them. Most people were like one's as good as another. So if you tell them, hey. The president's screwing us and they won't do anything about it. There's right. a good chance you're going to get enough out to make a difference. Right. Um, if not, we're in a bigger, we have a bigger problem at that point than constitutional law and stuff. Like we have people, you know, just willfully ignoring the constitution and it's time for revolt anyway. Yeah. So what's it matter? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We're seeing structural uh, breakdown on a large scale. Right. I, I hear you there. I think to me, what's, what's a, in a sense, a, a more pressing issue that was brought up about Kavanaugh was his involvement in something called Memogate. And basically what Memogate was, was back during the, the Bush Jr. presidency, a Republican aide found out that there was a glitch in the system and that he could access Democratic members of the Judiciary's committees. I remember files. hearing about this stuff. Yeah, he yeah. could get to their files about the various judicial nominees that the Bush presidency might nominate or might not. So he took those files and he gave them to the White House and the White House used them to decide who they were going to nominate, how they would overcome the challenges to who they would nominate. It was like insider Right, they trading. knew the playbook already. Right, right, right. So Kavanaugh was like the advisor to, to the president, to President Bush on his judicial nominee. So Patrick Leahy, Senator Patrick Leahy made the case during Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing that there is no way that Kavanaugh didn't know that those were ill-gotten documents. Mm. Now, Kavanaugh testified at his district, when he became a district judge, he testified that he had no idea okay. that they were procured of course the wrong he did. way and everything. Yeah. So basically, so they've been making the case that he perjured himself because he had to know is, is the case that they're making. Does it, you know, does it constitute perjury? I, I don't think so. Because at the end of the day, it's you feel like he should have known, but you have nothing. I mean, that's what, and that's what they all do when they're in front of Congress anyway, is I have no recollection. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, so I, so, unless you're going to punish everyone who said I have no recollection, he's saying, ah, I didn't know. I, here's yeah. the thing. Deep, deep in my soul, do I feel like he knew? Hell yeah, I do. I, I feel like he knew personally. The question is, if I was a senator and now I have to vote on him, now I look at that, and for me, in my book, it would be a negative tick mark. Yeah. But then I also look at his jurisprudence and everything else. Again, this is one of those issues where we don't have to nail him for perjury and arrest him and throw him in jail just because somebody, you know, nominated him for a job. Right. You know, you just now, Senator Leahy, if that's why you're voting no, then vote no, man. Feel free. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm I'm on the fence there, too, because, like, Man, secure secure your documents better. If he wasn't hacking your system, like 
What's what's the problem? It was a glitch. Like yeah. what what does that mean? You know, glitch well, could mean not, any not, number of things. Not to mention, I'm sure that if a Democratic aide had turned over the same documents from the Republicans to Clinton or Obama, they would have been like, "Oh no, give them back." That was no, that's the wrong thing to do, man. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Fair, yeah, fair I mean, come enough, on. Man. Fair enough. So it, it's an issue. It, it does make me wonder. I know he's lying in a sense, like me, you know, in my heart. I know you he's don't lying. No, he's you can't, lying. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I can't prove you it. You feel like he's lying. It's just a feeling, yeah. you know? And, and that's what people have to realize that all these perjury traps that we lay in these confirmation hearings and stuff, it's unnecessary, man. If you feel like he's lying, say no. If you feel like he isn't, say yeah. Well, I feel like you're operating in this world where where things are working as they're supposed to, you know, and instead we're working in this hyper-partisan environment where right. Republicans are just, they're going to vote on him no matter what. Yeah. You know, they don't, they want their conservative in the court. You know, no one wants to see a nonpartisan court uh, that represents the people. They want to see a hyper-partisan court um, so that they can, you know, steer Furthers everything. Their interests. Exactly, yeah. further their interests. So yeah. uh, it's just, I, I see where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and I understand it, but I don't think that's where we are. No, so, I like- know. No, I know it's not where we are. I'm just, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to highlight how things are supposed to be mm. so that we can more properly, because I think sometimes, especially if we're talking about, you know, Supreme Court, nominee hearings that people don't really know what they're supposed to look like or what they're supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like this foreign thing that happens every now and then when somebody dies, you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, it doesn't happen very often. So So this one, uh, you know, again, has met all the hallmarks of turning into a full circus. And, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna name off a couple things that happened here, but I want to make sure that we're very clear that I have no doubt that if we were talking about Merrick Garland and not Brett Kavanaugh, similar types of things would be happening with Republican senators' names attached mm. to them. You know what I'm saying? This this kind of shows the level of, of partisanship that we've gotten to with these things. So one of the first things that happened was Cory Booker. Uh, there was this, this narrative that there are all these documents from Kavanaugh's time in the Bush White House that haven't been released. Yes. And Kavanaugh's side was saying, you know, we've given you more documents than any Supreme Court nominee ever has. And then the Democrats came back and they were like, yeah, but 90% of the documents we still don't have. And how can you decide if somebody's fit for work if you don't have 90% of the documents? So there was this arguing and drawing back. Well, here's the deal. The reason that some of the documents hadn't been released was because of executive privilege. The executive branch, there are some things that they can classify based on executive privilege. It's the privilege of the executive to have a degree of privacy in how he conducts his business. Right. So Booker um, gets up and he makes this, this big scene in the middle of the confirmation <laughs> hearing likens himself to Spartacus. Yeah, he, I love it. He says, this is the closest thing I'll have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. <laughs> yeah, and says he's going to release all the files. And one of the Republican senators is like, that is a direct violation of Senate rules. He gets all blustery. Uh, other and, and Dem- Booker's like, I'll take the consequences. Yeah, Booker's like, I'll take Crucify the consequences. Me. Other Democratic senators are like, well, if you're throwing him in jail, throw me in jail. I stand with Booker and the Republican throwing senators. Throwing themselves on the cogs of the machine. Getting right? mad and everything. Turns out the guy who had you know, classified those documents under executive privilege had released them the night before. 
See, this this all sounds like games to me. <laughs> the entire it, argument was spectacle, man. Uh, right. Well, maybe. Because cause maybe they found out Booker was planning to do this and then and then released the documents the night before, you know? Okay. So no. so maybe Booker didn't even know they were they no, were no, declassified. No, no, See, no, that that's that's the difference. No, he asked, they declassified him when they got done with his process. And so you can say that they, they declassified him the night before just to, you know. Take away the timing to steal his thunder, right? Yeah, I'm completely fine with that. That's probably what happened. Regardless, he knew they were declassified when he walked into that chamber. Fair enough. Okay, so, so, (laughs) how did he not and called himself Spartacus? No, he have no, I'm saying it's not a how did he not? He knew. I'm telling you that he it's confirmed that he knew (laughs) they were released when he walked into the chamber. You can't justify that to me. Yeah, no, you can't. There's no justification. And so he still did that. And then the Republicans are doing that, and they're just putting on a show. And I saw that story. I mean, all of pretty much all of my friends in on the left, on the you know, with the resist movement and stuff, reposted the hell out of that story. Yeah, I mean, that was one of those feel good shares loves. You know, comment, get them, hashtag resist. Yeah, we're all Spartacus. And and man, for the people who are are watching what's going on, let me tell you, dude, Cory Booker did the Democrats no favors with that kind of behavior. I mean, maybe among, you know, the surface level uh, uneducated populace who's not digging into this stuff, maybe. Maybe. But I think people are starting to look and they're starting to pay attention. So when behavior like this comes to light... It, yeah. it 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 defeats the purpose. Yeah, you're no, gonna, it makes it makes you look shady, and it, and at least I think what you're saying is, is that you know it might have it might be the lasting impression that some people who are only into this surface level have of these proceedings is that oh I remember Cory Booker taking a stand against you know the Republicans trying to hide things. Right. But I think those people that would get that impression and not know anything else are the same people that would say, you know, well, I remember this Ted Cruz speech that he gave, and he was so brave to give that. You know, I think those people never look into the depth of it anyway, and they're the people who just write off Washington as hopelessly corrupt. Mm. There's nothing I can do about it, and they don't care. Yeah, they retreat back into their little cynic holes. Right, so you're not improving your standing with anybody, you know, with anybody's vote who can be swayed necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Just just the people who are going to mindlessly vote for whoever they mindlessly vote. I mean, for. all these things add up though and they do solidify uh an you know, an anti-republican bias for sure. Yeah, I mean, true. they they build up to create this impenetrable wall of division. Yeah. Um I just think I think that we're starting to see past it. You know, I yeah. think we're starting to see cracks in the wall on both sides. Yeah. You know, I often point out different that's because I consider myself a liberal. So I pick on my team. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think yeah. we should change things from the inside. But well, I'm going to pick on your team a little bit too, <laughs> because uh, next came Kamala Harris and Senator Kamala Harris asked Kavanaugh some questions about the Hobby Lobby case. And in his answer, uh, he uttered a phrase and she took that, cut out a 10-second clip, posted it, uh, t- uh, I think she tweeted it out. Yes. Some various places yes. picked it up that Kavanaugh had said he had referred to birth control, like the day-after pill, as Im- abortion-inducing drugs. Oh, yeah, and it blew up, man. I yep. saw that one all over the place. Um, of course, when you look into this, Kavanaugh was citing, was asked about Hobby Lobby's position yep. and was citing Hobby Lobby's position. Right. Which is not Brett Kavanaugh's yeah. position. Yeah, the sentence literally, if she'd have slid her clip back like two, three seconds, the sentence literally begins with, they said. 
Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's not fair. That's it's dirty politics and and regardless of what Brett Kavanaugh may think about uh birth control, mischaracter mis mischaracterizing him like that is is wrong. Right. It's right. dirty tricks, it's dirty tactics. Um and I saw people I I challenged people on this, man. I've got a friend I was talking to and she told me every woman who who saw that knows exactly what Brett Kavanaugh thinks. And I said, "Well, but if you if you look at what he said, he's not saying he thinks that. She, doesn't matter, she said. Doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. I know what he thinks. And 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 we are to a point where that happens assuredly on both sides. Where, you know, something like that comes out, this clip gets put out and you say, "Well, hey man, that clip's taken out of context. There's something wrong with it and stuff." And they'll be like, "But it reinforces what I already know." Right. We have already moved on to the point where they're like, no, it, no, it reinforces what I know, and you're like, it doesn't at all, and you're like, but, but no, it does. It, I know he's this way, and that's just more evidence. I will figure out a way for that to be more evidence, right? Instead of questioning my belief, right? You know? Absolutely. And the the worst part of it to me was how the media machine ran with the story. The next morning, yeah, every single paper, front page news, Kavanaugh believes birth control is an abortion inducing drug. Yep. And and so so when when the other side is screaming fake news fake news fake news here we are yet again that's fake news yeah that's fake news it's nothing other than fake news and and do not forget all the places that ran that story and I want all of you to remember or I want all of you to know Politifact actually came out and called Kamala Harris out for it and, and Thank as God. much crap as I give Politifact and Snopes and and them. Politifact stood up and did the wrong or the right thing. They were like, "No, you." They didn't give it a half truth. No, (laughs) didn't even give it. Didn't even give it a half truth. Gave it a full on false. Good. I'm glad. um, Speaking of fact checkers in Mm. the news, another kind of side issue that happened because of all this was uh, there was a piece put out by Think Progress, and Think Uh, Progress is a left leaning, uh, you know. Website. This is the article that says Brett Kavanaugh said he'd kill Roe vs. Wade last week and no one noticed. Yeah, that was the headline (laughs) of the article. If you go down into the piece, um, basically this is the argument they were making. Now this comes from a later piece that was trying to explain the argument that they were making, but but here it is. Uh, Kavanaugh cited in his confirmation hearing the Glucksberg test which refers to Washington v. Glucksburg, a 1997 Supreme Court decision establishing that the Constitution does not protect a right to physician-assisted suicide. Under Glucksburg, courts should determine which rights are protected by the Constitution by asking which rights are deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. Uh-huh. And I want to pause there for a second That's to, loose. Kind of, to kind of clarify. So we've talked about unenumerated rights. Right, the right to privacy that's you know found its legal basis through this decision. Right, it's not an, a, an amendment spelled out, but it, it relies on precedent. Right. So the Glucksberg test is saying that if you're going to give something, you know, if there's going to be an unenumerated right, then it has to be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. And I know that sounds loose to you, but like in legal terms, deeply rooted means cited multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be this like heritage to it, this jurisprudence around it, you know, for it to be a thing. I don't like that. I don't like that. I'll so, just say that. I, I like new things. I don't like things that entrench the old ways. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds enough. like an ancient device used to entrench us well, in the old ways. Like I, I guess what they're saying is you could actually, in my opinion, you could make a case for 
abortion in a sense, based on what we learned in the abortion episode, because abortion is something that had gone on and at various times been legal for years. So right. you could say so you could say that it was that deeply it is in fact rooted. deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition. Okay. What's interesting is is uh Kavanaugh also said, and this is back to the article, uh Kavanaugh also said in 2017 that even a first year law student could tell you that Glucksburg's approach to unenumerated rights was not consistent with the approach of the abortion cases such as Roe versus Wade in 1973, as well as the 1992 decision reaffirming Roe, known as Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So this is where they say he said he would kill Roe versus Wade. So this they is the took context. That. They said, you know, he said the Glucksburg, he, I think he said in the confirmation hearings, like all roads lead to Glucksburg, talking about unenumerated rights at one point. And then he had said that, uh, what was that, back in 2017. And they took those two things and they were like, if this means this and that means that, then he's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And that's the headline that they chose to run with. I, and I didn't read the article, so right. I don't know if they did if they did that argument justice in the article. But that headline does not do well, does not do any argument justice. <laughs> that's the point. Is that headline is fear mongering scare tactics, right? Whether it's true or not, and I'm not, you know, I don't know. He probably will try to overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah, well, there, there you know, was, that's a pretty conservative thing to want to do. There, are, there are legal experts who said that if they had to guess, you know, based on what he said, that they would think that he would overturn Roe versus Wade. I've also seen people make cases for the like I just did. Yeah, that no, that's not necessarily what it means, and it's important to note that uh, Kavanaugh did say that he doesn't feel like Roe versus Wade can be overturned on merits alone because now it's attached to uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is a big deal. Mm. Um, I'm not, you know, not going to go into all the technical terms. There, that's yeah. one thing that really impresses me about Kavanaugh. In the clips I've seen from, from his confirmation hearings and stuff, he is an encyclopedia, a steel trap he is asked about case law, and he's got it all on file and yeah. and perfectly well, to a T. I'm gonna and go. There's that's the kind of guy I want on the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I also want him to kind of, uh, uh, you know, believe in nonpartisanship and, yeah. and representation yeah. for all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in fairness, I will say, most of the time, if you're getting nominated to the Supreme Court. You 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 have that going on for you. Okay, I think, I think just about everybody sitting on the Supreme Court could do that. Yeah, Clarence Thomas, maybe. But but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so what ends up happening is Facebook established a fact checking panel. All right, they've got five members of their fact checking uh, fact checking panel. It's the AP, Politifact, Snopes, FactCheck.org, and the Weekly Standard, which is a conservative. That magazine. is the only conservative publisher. On yeah. the list well, of fact checkers. You know, people would say that the rest of them are neutral. And I think at least regarding PolitiFact and Snopes, we at least know how I feel about that. Yeah, I think PolitiFact you know. and, and Snopes definitely lean. Yeah. Uh, the AP. I would eh, make it, I would make I'd, an I'd argument that, that at times the AP at, leans, but even I'll say less so than Snopes. Yeah, the AP yeah. is is pretty is pretty reliable to me. Factcheck.org, I don't even know. I've never even heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't Same I don't here. go to factcheck.org, so who knows. Um, so anyway, the weekly standard, any one member of the panel can kick a story out, and the weekly standard said, "No, that's no good. The headline does not match what you presented in the article, um and therefore it's kicked out." Well, what happens is if that happens, your site or your page on Facebook will receive 80% less traffic in the future. Right. They're not going to show you in feeds anymore. Yeah. Once you get a fake news story. So, well, I, I think from a thinking, 
as a thinking person, if you look at the headline and you look at their case, they don't match. Right. And the scary thing here is not that the Weekly Standard came out and said, this is fake news. It's that none of the other <laughs> organizations yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, this is obvious and clear. So I think this speaks to, to just how nonpartisan or partisan the AP, PolitiFact, Snopes, and Fact Check are, at least within you know the Facebook fact-checking organization. Yeah, yeah. Because the only reason you would ignore this and treat it like real news is if you got an agenda to push. Right, right. That's it. So so think progress is besides themselves. Oh, this is Facebook is letting a conservative uh, organization censor us online. This is obviously only conservative organizations want to censor. You know, oh, you mean you have a problem with, with in, <laughs> instilling censorship boards on social media now that it goes against your agenda? Yeah, what? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this say, is what I've been rallying against from the from the get go. Right. You know, right. I think people should be able to share whatever news they want. You should be smart enough to read the article and go, wait, that argument makes no sense. Right. The right. headline makes no sense. Yeah. No. And then hopefully you're not reading their crappy rag of a publication next yeah. week. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. Um, what What's cool, though, is that there was a, a healthy pushback to think progress. Now, in a, in a sense, there's tons of sites out there. Uh, Vox. Salon, you know, all your old favorites that are trying to like, you know, capitalize on this. See, this is conservatives using censorship as a club. But I saw a piece at Slate that was like, uh, think progress is out of their minds. Good. That's that's not the case that they made. And it, it devolved into a case where the dude who wrote the article at Think Progress was like, well, it depends on the definition of the word said. And it's like, dude, get out of here. Man. Get out, out of here. here. Your headline was garbage. I mean, that's that's what it was. Man. Yeah. Deliberately misleading. Fake news. And all of this stuff, though, in the grand scheme, was just light work, yeah. uh, because uh, recently uh, we've had the kind of atomic bomb drop, right? Right. So we had a letter from a woman that that Feinstein was holding on to um, that claims that Brett Kavanaugh, when he was seventeen at a party in high school, uh, attempted to rape her. Yes, absolutely, uh, Senator. Diane Feinstein revealed after the confirmation hearing that she had received a letter from a person who wished to remain anonymous back in July, well before the confirmation hearing started, uh, that Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her uh, back in the 80s. Uh, she announced uh, after the confirmation hearings uh, the letter's presence and that she was going to refer it to the FBI for further investigation. And before we even talk about the allegations, um, you know, whether they have any merit, uh, how we should approach them, I have to point out the tactics. Mm. Um, I don't care what she was holding in her pocket. Uh, you know, assume it was uh, assume it was an assault. He he got drunk and and beat up a guy outside of a bar. Right. If she held on to that letter for months without telling anyone and then waited for just the right time right before the hearing to release this right after right well, uh, right, right, right well, before right, the vote right before the vote I'm yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. uh to release this and and throw uh, you know throw this uh throw herself on the cogs of the machine that's that's not right it's dirty tactics right. again like you had the information you should have you should have come forth with it yeah. um and 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 the way that the story kind of broke was really weird too because you saw initial reports coming out with very little detail. 
Mm-hmm. Very little detail. And slowly over the course of days, we saw more and more detail. Yeah, it was like so, you get a new bit every day. Right. You know? So what happened was this this straw man was kind of built up by people who were defending Kavanaugh, right? Mm-hmm. So they were defending Kavanaugh against these very loose allegations at first. Right. And then the allegations tightened up a little bit. And then they tightened up a little bit. And then finally, the letter was released and and the mask came off. That's yeah. like dirty tricks to the extreme. And it's exactly why we should not be so engaged and hyped up in the news cycle. Right. Because you were being manipulated, man. Everyone yeah. who was defending Kavanaugh on this was being directly manipulated. They were defending uh, something that they had no idea about, that yeah. that the other side absolutely knew about. Right. And I very much believe that the way that they released these details were were in, in a way that painted the defenders in, in, a, in a poor light. Yeah. You know? It, it, well, it, the thing is, is that like it's almost the only way it makes sense, right? Because wh- what are we supposed to believe? We're supposed to believe that you're actually concerned for the victim. Why'd you wait six weeks or, or however long it ultimately was? Um, you're concerned and it needs to be investigated by the FBI. You've had it since July. If you felt like it was something that needed to be investigated by the FBI, why didn't you turn it over to the FBI? Why didn't you even tell the other Democratic members? Of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And one of the things that's going to get lost as we transition into the actual allegations and everything is the fact that, you know, all those things that we just talked about as far as like finances and things that Kavanaugh said, well, they came up as a result of investigations. The Senate has the ability to investigate the matters that it's that's before it. As long as it has a matter before it. Feinstein, it's not like she got this letter and had no recourse until after the thing, and then she can refer it to the FBI. Now, the FBI has to... She has people on payroll who can go and investigate this thing. Fusion GPS, that's what they do right. for a living. And I'm not saying they should use Fusion, but I'm saying those things are at their disposal. So the idea that she's like walking into this blind, or has to walk into this blind, as she's trying to portray it now, uh, is ludicrous and laughable. And it... it it's hard to imagine this being anything other than a calculated maneuver dropped at the right time to hopefully extend this thing out until the midterms mm-hmm. when then hopefully the Democrats can hold up any nomination. Right. You right. know, and, and, and I have to say that is not to say these allegations shouldn't be paid attention to. Right. Um, you know, that's entirely separate Mm-hmm. from from the the behavior of Feinstein and the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um I absolutely think that if if it happened we should investigate. Right. Speaks to his character. Um you know, I, I if he was charged for the crime at 17, I'd like to point out none of us would know about it. If he was yeah. charged as a minor, it wouldn't be on his well, permanent record. Well, hang hang on. Let's pump brakes for just a second and set up exactly what the allegation is. Oh, right? fair enough. Fair so enough. so the letter was sent, uh, we later found out, by Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Now, she says that Kavanaugh laid on top of her, groped her, and tried to undress her at a party they attended in 1982 when Kavanaugh, like you said, was 17. Uh, she alleged that a friend of Kavanaugh's, Mark Judge, was in the room and that he had locked the bedroom door and turned up a radio to drown out for her calls for help as well. She said that Kavanaugh placed his hand over her mouth and that she feared that, you know, him being intoxicated and covering her mouth like that, that, you know, she feared for her life. 
Um, she asserts that she was only able to get away after Mr. Judge jumped on top of both of her and Kavanaugh and the dog pile kind of toppled over and she was able to run across the hallway to the bathroom. Right. And so when you hear that first off, I think one of the things is, is how, uh, believable a story it is like so we're talking about uh you know two guys that go to a prep school and she went to a uh, all-girls private school Mm -hmm. and they're at a party they're intoxicated she said that uh mr judge and mr cavanaugh were hammered and i'm sure they were drinking heavily so (laughs) yeah it's absolute to me it's absolutely 100 percent believable yeah yeah you can Uh, automatically absolutely that kind of thing happens yeah, it shouldn't. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying it should before yeah. anyone jumps on me, but it does happen. Uh, right. You mix hormones, you mix youth, you mix alcohol. People make terrible decisions. Yeah, it's a terrible decision. So that that's one of the things I think that contributes to uh, people's ability to, you know, I, it's it's automatically believable. Like right. I said, it's not. He also the there was also the clip of Kavanaugh saying, you know, what happens at the academy stays at the academy. Yeah, which he, you know, he, a year yeah. ago. So that's pretty. That's pretty damning, you know. Yeah. However, upon further review, there are some issues with what Miss Ford is saying, and here's here's what they are. Um, she cannot recall exactly when and where the party took place. Yeah, it was like forty years ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, if if her timeline is correct, it would have been about in 1982. But she's not. She's not absolutely certain. She says she thinks it happens when she happened when she was 15. And I did I did a thought experiment here and I thought back to uh, a, a specific party I was at when I was like 16 or 17 and I was trying to recall specific details and yes, I may have been intoxicated, but it was really difficult. I, right. There are some details that I remember impeccably. I remember the layout of the house. Um I remember a couple of the people who were definitely there. Uh, some crazy stuff happened that specific night and a friend yeah. of mine went absolutely crazy and started, you know, hitting girls. Yeah. Um, and I, and I remember that and I remember those people and who was involved. There are an incredible amount of details that I do not remember. Right. Um, so, you know, going back and that was, you know, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I will say that I was at the same party. I have a pretty good idea of what neighborhood it was in. I remember all sorts of things from the rest of the night. I can name way more people who were present than you can. Uh, I remembered that it was a two-story house. I remembered the stuff out front. So, I mean, there's some... You also didn't suffer a a sexual assault that night. Yeah, and and that's another thing is that, you know, none of us suffered a sexual assault. So, I'm not saying that, you know, she absolutely should be able to give a house address... And, you know, say this is the person that owned the house for sure. You know, you go to a party sometimes, you don't, you don't know who owns the house. Right. Yeah. Oh, the person that tells you they own the house may not <laughs> own the house. But but at the same time, like, I feel like the party that we were talking about, I could reasonably uh, lead somebody there. Or I could I could say, hey, there's this and this. I'm pretty sure if you go there, this is the, you know, it's in that area. Yeah. If, if I go and look at houses there, ah, it was that one. Yeah. You know, as far as I know, as far as I can tell, what's in the news, she's got none of that. She says, I've got nothing. When it well, comes and that's to the problem with, uh, with bringing up accusations 40 years later. Memory's yeah. going to be hazy on all sides. Right. No matter who you talk to, whichever witness you pull which, is going to be looking through a fog of 35 years. Which is, which is something else that I think it bears mentioning, even though, you know, it's, it's a, I don't know, I mean, it's weird. Maybe it's society, but it almost feels like a skeevy thing to talk about. But there is the question of whether or not what happened was just horseplay. 
Right. Yeah. So and, and there's an argument to be made there, right? right? I mean, you're wrestling and you're you're you know your kids and and you're you're playing and you're drunk. Um, there's the part where Judge like jumps on top of them, right? You know what I mean. But then now, if he's trying to undress her, that's not horseplay. See, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a question we can answer. I, right. I don't, and I think very much in any interaction between two people, um. Kavanaugh may have very much felt like it was horseplay. Right, right. He may have been in the mind, I'm just, you know, I'm just yeah. joshing. He may have not been intending to rape her yeah. or uh, sexually offend her. However, she may have had a very different perception right. of a, you know, five foot eight, 180 pound dude on top of her with his hand over her mouth. Uh, and who knows if and she has previous trauma. And ultimately, I think that like in the weeks that follows, her perception matters a lot. It, it matters greatly. So, you know, if we were talking about a situation where, you know, Kavanaugh did this, but he's like, I, I was just horse playing. And she's like, I feel like you crossed the line. Yeah. Then, then we go with how she felt. But here's the problem, though. We are 36 years later. So now. It's exactly why we have statutes of limitations. Now, has, well, I've heard in Maryland, there's no statute of limitation for, <laughs> right, that's true. for assault. That's true. So she could very well press So what I'm saying today. is 36 years later, has that event become embellished in her mind? Has it, has it taken a different nature now the argument coming back to that be you know she was assaulted and you remember every moment of your assault but she don't know where the party was yeah you see what i'm saying these two things like conflict with each other and fight each see, other and, and i i agree there's arguments to be made here but i don't think it's arguments for the public to decide right right i mean these aren't things that we should be fighting in the court of public opinion and that's what this whole process has come to yeah. Right. Uh, we have a system of due process. We have innocent until proven guilty. We have these concepts that protect us from from false allegations, which are which are a threat. Right. Uh, I think anyone who tries to act like that's not a threat is is ludicrous. You're demented. You're deranged. If yeah. you think no one ever makes false allegations uh, to harm people, it's, it's yeah. ludicrous. But we are very much usurping the systems that we have set up to deal with situations just like this. If anyone is on this issue saying, I believe Kavanaugh or I believe Miss Ford, you're wrong. Right. You're wrong. Right. You're, you're absolutely, you ha we, we must let the institutions that we have, you know, decide what happened. And right. I, I know some people on well, the left will say, oh, well, you know, due process is just a tool of the patriarchy. No, no, that's <laughs> no. And that's bogus. I hate that argument. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if if I'm to believe that the patriarchy is is over everything, and I you know, and I do believe that there's a it's a patriarchal system, sure, yes, absolutely. But sometimes it stems back thousands of years. Some, well, but then sometimes there's the you know a patriarchal system, and then the patriarchy, which you know. So anyway, regardless, if I believe that it's at the top, then everything that exists in the world is in some way a part of it, in some way linked to it. Sure. So I'm not going to sit there and say that due process is junk. Because it's connected to the patriarchy and has been used by the patriarchy because everything has been used <laughs> by the patriarchy. It doesn't mean it's garbage. Right. It doesn't mean we toss everything out. It's exactly. just we maybe disattach the patriarchy from. Yeah, we don't let due <laughs> process be abused by the patriarchy in the specific ways that the patriarchy abuses due process. Right. And I, I think that's what I think that's what a lot of people they're looking at this situation and they're thinking that. You know, the Republicans are somehow subverting due process, um, you know, by by demanding that she show up in front of Congress. I've seen the argument. Wait, oh, she's yeah. going to go in front of a room of of old white men 
you know, who all went to prep schools and cover for each other. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to grill her and all this stuff. And I don't think that's fair. I mean, yeah. I don't. Well, no, because I mean, if you're going to accuse somebody, you have to make the accusation. You have she to. hasn't made the accusation. And that's one of the important things to note. For instance, she has named off four people who she, she says were at that party. Uh, five counting her, but then Kavanaugh and judge. And there's another gentleman named PG Smith or PJ Smith. And then another woman, I cannot remember her name right now. Beanzo can look it up for us. But at any rate, she says that, you know, all of them were at the party. Only judge and Kavanaugh were in the room. All four of those people now have submitted, you know, Kavanaugh says not only does he deny the allegations, but he doesn't remember attending a party like the one she described. Judge says he didn't see anything like that, and he doesn't remember attending a party like the one she of described. Course. And then PJ Smith, and then the girl who's her friend still, says she doesn't remember attending a party like the one she described, and, and she's never seen Kavanaugh in her life. And the important thing is that these statements are all submitted into official public records. So right? yeah, the point I was making while, is while they're Ford's, under oath. Ford's you know? statement is a letter yeah. to Feinstein, which is not official public record and is also not under oath. She has so not she's formally the, made the accusation. She is the only one in this situation that is not subject to you know perjury or right. uh, false making false allegations. Right. Everyone else in the situation has made a state, at least the ones that she's named, mm -hmm. uh, have made statements that that are punishable by law if they're false. Yeah. It's a little it's a little head scratching. And when and and it was it was a relief to me, I'll say, when I saw uh, when I saw them say, "Come come testify." Yes, let's yeah. do it Monday. Come on in, let's talk about it. Because I, honestly, I expected. Um, the, the Republican machine to find ways of shutting her out right. and shutting and saying, oh, well, this doesn't belong here. This is a ludicrous allegation, but well, I think, I think she did. I think another thing that's interesting to note is, so the idea is why would anybody, you know, why would anybody make a false allegation, right? Because it's something as serious as sexual assault. And even outside of this Kavanaugh thing, that's been a narrative that's been, been out there for like the last few years is that people do not make false allegations about rape or at least it happens so much less than people want to portray it. And I think that that last part, to an extent, is true. I don't think that they happen every day. No. But let's look at this particular situation for just a second, okay? She is someone who is in the resistance. We've talked numerous times on this show about how people who say, you know, resist Trump, I'm a part of the resistance and all that stuff, they feel like it is dire consequences. Right. Trump is the devil. He's Hitler. He's coming for him. You know, we, we've seen that stuff splayed out everywhere. This is a woman who went in the women's march. This is a woman who's, you know, a part of all those causes and all that good stuff. All right. Now, does that mean that she's necessarily falsifying this accusation? Absolutely not. This accusation could 100% be true. And in fact, I think later this week, you know, she's going to have her day where she goes before the committee. Kavanaugh's going to go before the committee. Right. But you take that and then you add to it the fact that when her name was initially released, her lawyer said, uh, it's ridiculous that the Republicans are not going to let her testify before the committee and have her day where she gets to tell her story. The Republicans come out two days later and they're like, we'd like for her to testify in front of the committee. And it has been a week long process to get her to testify. Oh, yeah. Now they they said come Monday. They, they said, well, she can't fly in a plane because, you know. She has claustrophobia, so she has to drive, and it'll be you know four days before she can get there. So yeah. they have been kind of throwing one up of, every obstruction. One of the conditions for her to testify was that Kavanaugh had to testify first. 
Why? That is ludicrous. What is Kavanaugh responding to if you haven't made the accusation first? You know what what I mean? Like, what's he supposed to do? Just go up there and and respond to you think you were sexually assaulted at some point in the 80s at a house that you do? You know what I mean? Like, what is he responding to at that point? And is he responding to the news reports? Is he responding to her letter specifically? And and I'd like to see him respond to the letter specifically. Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that would be wrong. But if she's got an accusation to make, she needs to make it on record where she is punishable if she has made false statements. Yeah. You know, if she is... Uh, bending the truth to to fit a narrative. Um, mm-hmm. Although I think uh, truthfully, all of that's moot because we're talking about something that happened 35 years ago. There's no DNA evidence. There's never, ever going to be any smoking gun evidence in a case like this. There's right. not. You're going to ask people. They're going to think back on it. They're going to remember something that happened 35 years ago. We all know how fallible memory is. We fill in holes and gaps in our memories. We know this. We've got scientific studies showing it for years. So the unfortunate situation is that this whole thing is built on shoddy foundation. Yeah. And and it sucks because if if he did try to rape her, she deserves justice. Right. right. And 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 Kavanaugh deserves to be off of the uh, out of there. Out, yeah. Gone. Lose the judgeship he has now. Absolutely. Yeah. The the problem is that I don't think there's any way to prove it. So well, so what's going to happen is we're going to go through this this dog and pony show. She is going to be hurt. They, she's already got death threats being made. She's got people chasing her out of her house. She's got to move her kids. Um, but at the end, none of us are going to know any better. Yeah, we're all just if 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 Kavanaugh gets gets you know accused and I don't even know what you'd call it in a Senate hearing. Is it indicted? Is he you know if 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 we find oh, him no. guilty. No, uh, I mean no, that's not that's not how it works at all. I mean the committee is just using that to base whether or not they're going to confirm him for the Supreme Court. Well, regardless, anything criminal is going to happen completely separate. The court of of, of public opinion right, right. on one side is going to go, well that was a terrible decision. It was obviously ABC and this really happened and Kavanaugh yeah. was innocent. And the other side's going to go, well it was obviously just the patriarchy covering, you know, because they like yeah. to rape people and, and blah 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 blah. Like this is a lose-lose situation for everyone involved. No, I agree that it's it's a terrible situation for us to be in and I think it's heightened uh, when you put it into the context of like the Me Too movement and everything, right? Because now all that stuff is attached to it as well. Right. And so now we have all these questions about, you know, well, well, they just don't want to believe women. I think if you if you stop and you look at, you know, what we've laid out here and some of the other things that are swirling around this case, it's reasonable to have questions about what she's alleging. Right. Like, so what world are you advocating for in a world where we don't have doubts or questions about what she said? You're saying she should be able to walk in, say this happened. Yeah, I know there are problems with it and everything, but I said it happened. So therefore, his life needs to fundamentally change. Is that the world that, that we're yeah, advocating with, for with, with me no too? investigation? Well, that's the, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, like now they're saying. Uh, she wants an FBI investigation before she'll testify, or at least that was her position before she accepted to go before the committee on Thursday. And a lot of the Democrats are saying there needs to be an FBI investigation and all that stuff. I, I mean, to tell you the truth, for one, it's not a federal crime. I mean, the FBI does do background checks on nominees and everything, but, but this isn't a federal crime. And a lot of people were saying, well, you know, the FBI investigated the Anita Hill claims against Clarence Thomas but that was uh, sexual harassment in a federal workplace. Right. So, I mean, you know, should the FBI do it? Should Maryland do it? Th- those are all fair questions. Should we wait 
She should that. make an allegation first. Should we wait for the, the conclusion of the FBI investigation before Congress decides whether or not to sit Kavanaugh? That's the question. Right? I mean, I think, I, I think yes. I think there should be some sort of a, a, a hearing at least. But like I said, she needs to make the allegation. Well, first. wait a minute. No, 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 no. Hang on. A hearing at least doesn't. There is going to be a hearing. Yeah. So should the FBI have to run and complete an investigation before he's voted on? I don't know what they'd investigate. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know? and that's I mean, kind of that's kind of that's the what point. I'm saying. The hearing is going to be the witnesses involved stating their case. Right. 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 So I, that's that's the extent of the investigation here. You're not going back and taking prints. You're not going to try to find the house. Right. You know, are you going to go? What are you going to do? Well, so, so I assume anyone who knows that would be. That that is kind of the problem in in context of the Me Too, right? You're saying we need to have an FBI investigation. Believe all women. Well, like there isn't. She hasn't given us enough for there to be an FBI investigation, right? If this was any other situation, if this wasn't a Supreme Court nominee, you couldn't justify an investigation. I mean, they they might go question the FBI is not going to do it, but like local police might go question some people. But then if the four people she said were at the party said they don't recall being at a party like that. That investigation is pretty much over. Yeah. So we do need to do a better job of listening to women when they tell us things. Absolutely. 100%. And I can get behind any feminist who would make that case. And there are reasons that that women don't come forward in rape cases, you know, some 60% of the time. There are reasons uh, men and women don't come forward in assault cases. You know, absolutely. I, I understand that. But we can't go the other way with it. We can't say... Oh, due process is a part of the patriarchy. It's it's just another way that men are using this tool to keep women down. So due process is out the window. If she walks in the door and says it happened, he doesn't get to be on the court. Yeah, that's because ludicrous. that opens and the door to all kinds of insanity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it opens the door to 2020. Uh, Democrats finally get their way. And now uh, Republican operatives start making sexual harassment allegations, <laughs> right, sexual assault right. allegations. And oh. Here we go. We've got to investigate each and every one of them. Yeah. Like, no, they should investigate it if it's valid. We've got systems in place for determining if it's valid. Yeah. You know, again. And if there is an investigation, if there is an investigation and what she has said is true, then he can be unseated. He can be impeached as well. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's no, I, I say, you know, let the vote happen. But more importantly, like, we need to stop and take a look at where we're letting our need for justice take us. Mm. Is what I'm saying. There are corrections that need to be made. There is a better middle ground that needs to be found. But here, at least in this instance, with that, you're overshooting it. And and you and I today have no idea whether or not these allegations are true. Right. And I'll never make a statement leaning either way because it's impossible. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if it comes out in the committee and stuff or or at some point, he, he could even say things in the committee that will make me think that he either did or did not do this. And I will make a decision once I've seen that stuff. And and if he did, you know, most of anything approaching this, I don't want him to be a Supreme Court justice. But all of that is immaterial. You know what I'm saying? That is immaterial. It's important, but immaterial to what has happened to us as a society and how we handle these matters. Mm. The, 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 the rate at which we're ready to grab the pitchforks and run out into the street and, and you know, just bring down all men and stuff. There are reasonable reasons here for people to have doubts. And there's also a woman here who has a very uh, powerful story uh, to an extent that she's told. 
And I think that we've all got to calm down and see those things for what they are and realize that Democrat and Republican never comes into that. Conservative and liberal never comes into that. Right. You know what I mean? What What's important is doing what's right. That was the idea. It was justice to begin with, right? That's not justice. Hey, folks. So as we've said on the show before, we record on Sundays and release on Thursdays. Due to that four-day gap, we try our best to maintain a balancing act in regards to deciding when to cover a story that's ongoing. Wait too long and everyone has already moved on. Pull the trigger too early and risk having breaking news render your episode outdated or irrelevant. This week, we're somewhere in between. Yeah, so Sunday night, believe it or not, simultaneously as we were driving home after finishing the episode, news broke of two brand new allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. One, an allegation of sexual harassment by Deborah Ramirez, reported by The New Yorker. The other, a series of tweets by Michael Avenatti, in which Mr. Avenatti says he's representing a woman who has information regarding Brett Kavanaugh's participation in some sort of gang rape scenario. After taking a look at the New Yorker piece and Mr. Avenatti's claims as they stand at the time of this recording, we've decided to release the episode as it was originally recorded, and we want to be clear why. In the episode, we make the case that Dr. Ford's allegations are somewhat thin, and the timing of their release smacks of political gamesmanship. As we said in the episode, if they turn out to be true, neither of us think Brett Kavanaugh should be seated on the Supreme Court. Of greater concern to us than Kavanaugh's future job title, though, is the idea that all allegations are to be taken as absolute truth by virtue of the fact that they were made. Dr. Ford's allegations are uncorroborated. She has contradicted herself on at least one occasion, and every person she named as present at the party has in effect swore under oath that they were not there, including a close friend of hers. None of that means her allegations are false. To the contrary, we argue in the episode that we have no idea and question whether anyone other than the three people who may or may not have been in that room ever will. We both believe that assuming Brett Kavanaugh is guilty or asserting that someone who expresses doubts about these claims hates women or is a rape apologist is not only illogical but dangerous. There are reasons due process is enshrined in our nation's constitution, and the presumption of innocence is one of the core principles of our justice system. The Salem Witch Trials, Spanish Inquisition, and the treatment of black men accused of rape by white women in the Jim Crow South are but a few of these reasons. In regards to the new allegations, we find it concerning that multiple accusers have come forward. We also believe that if these women feel they have relevant information as to the character and behavior of Mr. Kavanaugh and are willing to subject themselves to the intense scrutiny and all too often abhorrent treatment telling such a story in this setting entails, then they absolutely deserve to be heard. However, having heard them such as we have to this point, we find ourselves in largely the same position. Miss Ramirez's claims, while stronger than Dr. Ford's in some respects, such as the when and the where, are far, far shakier in others, and as of yet, uncorroborated. As for Mr. Avenatti, at this time he has yet to produce a formal accusation, an accuser, or any sort of evidence, although he says he will do so by the time this episode airs. We didn't set out in this episode to defend a Republican nominee for the Supreme Court or insinuate that Democrats engage in nefarious tactics that the GOP would not. In fact, it is precisely our belief that this is all a part of the same death spiral of one-upsmanship that sees this new chapter cause us such alarm. 
What we attempted to do in this episode is once again demonstrate how far away from our principles this hyperpartisan frenzy has taken us. In that sense, while the outcome of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and allegations are important, they're largely immaterial to our larger point. Don't abandon who we are or the principles that we cherish for the sake of political expediency, or the country you're fighting so hard to save may not be there when the dust settles. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. And now, back to the show. <laughs> I think I think if we look at any step in, in Kavanaugh from the initial appointment to now, uh, I don't think anything's being done right, man. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, hell, even even the existence of his nomination going back to Garland, you know, that's that, that death spiral that we talked about before. This is absolutely as bad as I thought it was going to be the day you texted me and told me that Kennedy said he was retiring. This is this is bad. Man. I bet it's going to get even worse because uh, we've come to the end of the show, and that's the point where Beanzo, our fact checker extraordinaire, is going to come through with a fine-tooth comb and pick all the nits out of our hair and put them on display for you guys to point and laugh at. Beanzo, what you got for us today? First off, I'd like to announce a new chapter in the Sense and Theory podcast. I've been struck by the amount of negativity we've been exposed to as we've delved into the world of politics, and I, I just can't contribute any longer. Therefore, this segment will attempt to build you guys up as opposed to how I usually completely destroy your meager, well, quaint little show. I'm still committed to being the gold standard in fact-checking. There's nothing wrong with a little beniency. Here goes. Wow, fellas, that was one hell of a grab bag episode. You guys are unrivaled when it comes to covering a vast array of disparate topics. The way you seamlessly segue from one unrelated topic to the next is nothing short of magical. I'm sure the listeners, like myself, are waiting with bated breath for this episode to end so they can comb through it for that lighthearted story theory mentioned in the intro. Since outstanding work in mentioning the subreddit again without telling folks the name of it. It's like a little mystery game you've created for them. A scavenger hunt, if you will, for them to try out their detective skills and determine which subreddit is yours amongst the 1,079,404 on the site. You did an excellent job as well of minimizing your normal number butchery in this episode. You were only off on the cost of Kavanaugh's house by a million or so dollars. And what's a million really when we're talking about Senate investigations into finances? Since you also did a commendable job of staying on brand and totally wrecking Kavanaugh's title and relationship to the Ken Starr investigation into Bill Clinton, I think you should pause and reflect, though, on the next level work the theory dropped today. You see, theory has transcended from flubbing people's names and titles. With Miss Leland Kaiser, the fourth witness named by Dr. Ford, he didn't even attempt it. That's the podcast host named Butcher and equivalent of Zen. So like I said, excellent grab bag today. Can't wait to see the smorgasbord of topics you have for us next time. Fellas, back to you. Well, man, it it was supposed to be a grab bag. We've got multiple stories that we prepped. It was it was going to be a grab bag. There's today. a whole other page of the outline here. Yeah, fact. man, we just we just got wrapped up in Kavanaugh, and that's okay. And, and you know what? To tell you the truth, I don't know about what you're doing here because I don't really feel built up. Do you feel built up? No, I I don't feel built up at all. In fact, 
This was kind of a double whammy to me because I ended my Twitter hiatus today. I checked the DMs. Taylor Swift did not message us back. So I guess human beings are right. Taylor Swift is never coming on the show. Oh, well, you're you're wrecked. Well, man, I'm I'm glad that you, you know, you found a way to put this put this behind you and, and found a way to move on from what I'm sure was I, I can't I can't do this, man. <laughs> you thought Taylor Swift was gonna come on the show? Beans. He thought Taylor Swift was gonna come on our show. <laughs> Hey folks, it's Theory of the Sense and Theory Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, like us. Uh, you know, it really helps a podcast uh, take off. And, uh, you know, get at us on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, show ideas, suggestions, critiques, uh, condemnations, it's all good. Send it our way. Uh, we'll see you next week.